Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for allowing us to come, enabling us to come this morning to worship you in song, in word, in fellowship, and in serving one another. We pray, God, that you would open up our ears to hear this morning, that you would open up our hearts to receive, and that you would open up our minds to understand what we are not, God, we pray, and that you would make us. Father, we thank you for giving us your holy word. I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you, our God, can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning. That I would not be in the way of what you are doing through the work of your spirit and word. Let your people not hear me or see me, but hear and see you. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Good morning once again, or good morning for the first time. Thank you for joining us here at Reformation Bible Church. Thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day as we continue our exposition of the Gospel of John. As we approach the remaining verses in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, we are once again confronted with a a stark contrast between those who are truly friends of Christ, his disciples, And those who are friends with the world, enemies of Christ. The blessed word of God is absolute. It's definitive. It is unconcerned with political correctness. Therefore, the word of God is unafraid and unashamed to confront people with the reality of their spiritual condition before God. The word of God draws Definitive lines between those who are saved and those who are lost. Between those who are with Jesus and those who are against Jesus. The word of God draws lines between those who are of this world and those who are not of this world. The word of God draws lines between those who are children of God and those who are children of the devil. And the word of God draws a definitive line. Between those who are in the kingdom of God's beloved son and those who belong to the kingdom of darkness. In these passages that we will examine today and in the following weeks, the Lord Jesus introduces us to yet another contrast. He draws a another line of demarcation, if you will, between those whom he has elected as friends and those who are friends with this world. Let us stand for the reading of God's word and examine what those truths are this morning. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated this morning. May God add a blessing to the hearing and reading of his word. I have just three short points for you this morning. Number one. The command to love is modeled by Christ and obeyed by his friends. The command to love is modeled by Christ and obeyed by his friends. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. I'd like you to think for a moment. It appears as if this is a repetitive command. It appears as if we have heard this command before. As a matter of fact, this is the second time in this chapter so far that we have heard the command, love one another. The Lord Jesus implores his disciples, love one another. But I'd like you to think about this. Why is there such a tendency toward repetition concerning the commandment to love one another? It is a command that is not only repeated by our Lord, but is also repeated by the disciples of Christ. When speaking to churches that they were writing to, they implored them as well to obediently obey the command to love one another. Paul writing to the church in Rome, Rome Romans 13, 8 Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. John, the apostle, writing to the churches in 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Peter, writing to the churches, above all, he says in 1 Peter 4, 8, keep on loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Why, we may ask, why so much repetition for just one command? I'd like you to ask yourselves, since the last time that you have heard the commandment to love one another, what kind of effort have you made in your life? Toward obediently practicing this commandment to love one another. Or I'd like you to also ask yourself, since the last time that you heard this command to love one another, how many times has your ability to love been challenged by unloving people? Yes, brothers and sisters, it is most assuredly a repetitive command. And could it be that Christ so often repeats this command to love one another because love for one another is the command that we most often struggle to obey? Friends, we are not all the same. We have different temperaments. We have different likes, different dislikes, different upbringings, which formulate different habits. Many times it is these differences that create barriers between those who have not in common The same likes and dislikes, but they do have in common a like faith in Christ. 
And it is our united faith, it is our common faith that binds us together. It is our united faith, it is our common faith that is the main reason why we should love one another. As we said before, if we wait to like each other before we love each other, then we will never come to love each other. In this body, we are commanded to love one another. Love for God. Listen, is eternally linked to love for one another. Romans 5 and Galatians 5 tells us that in our new birth, when we were regenerated, the love of God was poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Therefore, love for fellow believers characterizes what a true believer really is. Meaning this, if you do not have love, then you do not have Christ. 1 John 2.9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Among the disciples of Christ, we may find some who are the weakest. Among the disciples and followers of Christ, we may find some who are the lowest, the most ignorant, the most effective disciples. And yet, we are commanded not to withhold our love from them. All the disciples of Christ are to be loved. And they are to be loved in the same way that Christ loved. They are to be loved with an active, self-denying, self-sacrificing kind of love. The so-called disciple that cannot, will not, and refuses to even try to love other believers cannot be truly called a disciple of Christ. A command like this, though, coming from Christ, should stir up great searchings in our hearts. How do I love? Do I truly love? Without love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that we are nothing more than a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. Paul then spoke sarcastically to the church of Corinth. A church occupied by those who believed that they were among the spiritually elite. And saying to them. And if I have all prophetic powers. And understand all the mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith he says. As to remove mountains. But have not love. I am nothing. The apostle then turns his attention to those who believed that they were among the truly humble because of their showy service. And he says to them, if I give all that I have away and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. My dear brothers and sisters, where there is no love that follows the pattern of Christ, then there is no grace and there is no work of the spirit Because those who do not love have not truly come to realize the the full capacity and the full meaning of their so-called profession of faith. Because those who do not love do not really have, do not truly have saving faith. Blessed are those who do not forsake or forget this commandment to love. They that obediently obey this commandment to love. Revelation says that they will have the right to the tree of life 
And they are those who enter through the gates into the celestial city. All for obeying the commandment to love. J.C. Ryle says we can never think too highly of love. Attach too much weight to it or labor too much to practice it. It is of the utmost importance that we obey this command. Have we heard this command before? Yes, of course we have. And truths which our master deems needful to enforce upon his regenerate people must needs be of first class importance in our lives. One may sincerely ask, well, then how must I do this? How do I love? I've heard the command, the command from my master, love one another, but how to apply it is beyond me. You are in the right place this morning because the Lord Jesus Christ has provided an answer for you. Love one another. How, Lord, as I have loved you. How has the Lord loved us? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Listen to this. Christ sometimes tells us how greatly he loves us in order to Confirm our confidence in our salvation. But in this instance, he goes further. And in just a few hours, he will go to the max. He will not only tell his disciples, but in order to inflame our hearts. He points to himself as the prototypical example of what truly love does. We have heard many in our lives. We have heard many in our lives. Tell us. How much they love us. And in order to do so, they use a multiplicity of words. Oh, but there are only few who have come into our lives that have not only told us how much they love us, but they have been the people that have shown us that they love us by a multiplicity of actions. They have displayed their love. Our Lord wants us to experience by faith how immeasurably sweet his loving goodness truly is. And by experiencing his sweet love, he hopes to entice us to do what? To love one another. By experiencing the sweet love of Christ, he entices us. He motivates us. He inflames our heart to turn and to love one another. Brothers and sisters, God could have simply redeemed us by the word of his mouth, foregoing the cross and all of the agony therein. But instead... In eternity past, before the foundations of the world, he chose another path. One that would that would be in his infinite wisdom. That would be for his glory and our good. And it would display for us how one truly is to love. And what was that path? It was a glorious path. It was one in which the father did not only speak the word of love, but a path in which he did not spare his only son. So that he might display for us the ultimate example of how a friend loves. He willingly laid down his life for his own. In this, the eternal God, Father, Son and Spirit displayed to the believing world that just how we are to love one another. How he has loved us. John Owen encourages us with five points concerning the love of Christ. He says, how free Was this love? 
Brothers and sisters, we did not earn this love. And there was nothing in us to desire this love. Do you understand that? This love of Christ was spontaneous. It did not wait to be bought. It did not wait to be earned. It did not not wait to be won. If Christ waited for our love for him to be won, earned, or bought, it would never come. Because there was nothing in us that wanted him. There was nothing in us that desired him. There was nothing in us that would seek to win his love. Instead, he gives his love to unloving people who who don't naturally want it. So none of us should say, why should I love that man? None of us should say, what has that man done for me? Brothers and sisters, we follow the the pattern of Christ who lovingly, freely gave his love without any prerequisites. That is how we love. You see someone who has done nothing for you, who has spoken no word to you, and you go and freely offer them love. That, my brothers and sisters, is the ultimate display of the gospel. Why are you showing me love? Because God has shown me love. How costly, Owen says, was this love. 2 Corinthians 2.8 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. So that his poverty, in his poverty, by his poverty, he could make you rich. Moved by grace, The Lord Jesus Christ paid the price of our redemption. He paid the price that his law demanded. Life and life that only he could give. He paid it for us. And oh, what a price. That the only innocent man to ever live would lay down his life for those who are not by nature his friends, but by nature his enemies. So that he could call them friends. Owen continues, oh, how compassionate and tender this love. We often overlook this. The tender, loving compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love my mother dearly. And yet the tender love of a mother is nothing in comparison to the tender love that was shown to us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Real. Look at his life. Look at the life of Christ. Read the life of Christ. His compassion is not here and there. His compassion is everywhere. How will you show compassion? John Owen says, There is tenfold more sorrow in men's mind than in men's bodies, sickness and poverty in men's houses. How will you show mercy to them? And he says this, This will do more for the world's comfort than the richest purse. Showing love, showing compassion to one another will do more than giving someone a million dollars. Showing them love and compassion. Owen continues, how extensive is this love? That Christ would offer his love to people of every tribe, nation, and tongue in the world. That those who believe would have eternal life. Would not perish, but have eternal life. How extensive is this love? And finally, how Oh, that's the last one, actually. Calvin says this. Our hearts must be harder than stone or iron. If they are not softened by the immeasurable sweetness of God's love. You must have a heart of iron or stone. If hearing upon hearing the word of God, you are not softened by his tender love. 
Beloved, let us love one another. As the children's hymn goes, that I can still hear ringing in my head as I was a child. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 5, 7 and 8. Secondly, the friends of Christ obey the commands of Christ. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I heard from the father, I have made known to you. Brothers and sisters, think about this. What does hearing Christ the Lord call you who have believed? Friends. What does that do to your soul? What emotions flow from your heart upon hearing that the creator of the universe has called you friend? Sadly, it is a a common assumption today among most that they are already friends of God. Sadly, the multitudes assume that their relationship with God is a friendly one apart from repenting of sin. Trusting in Christ alone for their salvation as if God owes them friendship. And they take advantage of that friendship anytime they are in need of a friend. But for sinful men and women like ourselves, we who have been saved by grace and rescued from the darkness to be called friends of God is both beyond something that our weak minds can understand. And something that our humble hearts can barely accept. In order for us to begin the the depths of our friendship with God, we must understand first that we are not naturally friends of God, but we were initially enemies of God. We were created by God to love him, to worship him, to enjoy him forever. But when Adam, our forefather and federal head, failed to keep the covenant between him and God, he fell into sin and was separated from God. Therefore, we were separated from God and we fell into sin. We became enemies of God, enemies who had rebelled against the holiness of God. We were born enemies. David declares in Psalm 51, at birth, I was sinful, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. There was nothing loving in us or attractive in us that would cause the almighty God to pour out his love to us. And yet... Out of mercy and out of loving kindness, he graciously chose to be merciful to a merciless people. Paul declared in Ephesians 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Paul speaking to the Romans in Romans 5, 10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. By the death of his son, much more. Now we are reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Brothers and sisters, how is it that the king of kings and the Lord of lords not only pities the rebel, but he saves the rebel. And not only does he save the rebel, but he adopts the rebel. And not only does he adopt the rebel, but he calls the rebel friends. Paul sums up the depth of this great truth in Ephesians 3.19. The love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. The love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. And indeed it does 
certainly our master in heaven will never forsake or forget his friends. Poor and unworthy as we are, he will never cast us off, but he will stand with us and keep us to the end. David, though he was born in sin, did not forsake or forget his friend Jonathan and the son of David who was born without sin, will never forget or forsake his friends, those who have placed their faith in his son. J.C. Ryle says, none so rich, none so strong, so independent, so well off, so thoroughly provided for, as the man who of Christ, as the man of whom Christ says, this is my friend. And just in case the ifs of John chapter 15 confuse you into thinking that there is something that you can do in order to earn God's friendship, we affirm with Scripture there is nothing we could ever do to earn God's friendship or God or a right standing before God. Our friendship with God has been accomplished for us by Christ. Our obedience to these commands are evidence that we have been united to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we keep his commands. You are not you are not a friend of God if as if it's conditional. You are a friend of God because Christ has made you friends and because you are friends, you obey the commands of Christ. To us, the friends of Christ, he has made all things known, all things that he has heard from the father. He has revealed to us. And what a privilege that is that the God of the universe, God, the son would share the deepest truths of heaven. With slaves. That is how that word is best translated in John chapter 15. Not servant, but slave. Slaves usually did not have an intimate relationship with their earthly masters. The slave usually had no knowledge of the plans of his master. But once again, Christ confirms his love for his disciples by opening up his mind to them. As we would do with our friends. Nothing hidden. Nothing concealed. Everything revealed. He has given them far more than any mortal usually gives to his slaves. Brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged by these words that Christ testifies his love toward us by sharing with us all that he has, all that he is. He has not withheld one ounce of truth that we need to know. Nothing hidden, nothing concealed that would discourage us. From drawing near to our faithful shepherd. So let us draw near. Third and finally. The friends of Christ. Have been specifically chosen by Christ. To bear fruit. For Christ. John 16 or John 15 16. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you these things. I command you so that you will love one another. Brothers and sisters, how does one initially come to Christ? What causes them to be united to Christ? What brought you to Christ? Why are you here? Was it dissatisfaction with life that caused you to seek for something better? 
Was it searching for something that cannot be explained? Was it a longing to discover meaning in life or to discover that you happen to one day stumble upon Christ and now here you are? The answer to all of those questions is a resounding no, no, no. The only way that a person can ever begin to begin to begin to come after Christ is that they are first chosen by Christ. This choosing has taken place before the foundation of the world. So the answer to your so-called searching, the answer to your so-called dissatisfaction with life, the answer to your quest for meaning and understanding is simply this. The irresistible grace of God drawing you by the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. In the days of Christ, disciples, normally it was the practice for disciples to choose their teacher. Christ comes and he flips that order upside down. They did not choose him. He purposely and specifically chose them. It is Christ who has chosen you. It is Christ who has elected you. You have repented because of Christ. You have come to faith because of Christ. You are now living the Christian life because of Christ. All that you are and all that you do is simply and purely because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ shed upon those whom he has chosen. Because of our sin, there was nothing in us that would cause us to choose him or to want him. Because of our depravity, we would have never desired him or longed for him. We were slaves to our sin. And had it not been for the grace of God, we would still be assuming that we are friends of God. When in actuality, we are enemies. Go to the person, the average person on the street and tell them God loves you. The average answer will be, I know. Go to the person on the street and say to them, the wrath of God is upon you. And they will say to you, be gone from me. Because the assumption is that they are doing the best they can. And that in doing the best they can, they are automatically accepted by Christ. Or God, if they do not want to identify Christ as God. That is not the case. Christ chooses his friends. His friends don't choose him. We were slaves. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. But why? Why did Christ choose us? Why did Christ choose these ragtag disciples? There was nothing in them that would cause Christ to say, yes, you. And there was nothing in you that would cause Christ to say, yes, you. So what was it? Why did he choose anyone? Verse 16. That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. Oh, it is for his glory. The disciples were chosen. Why? So that they would go and declare Christ among the nations. And through that proclamation of the gospel. That many would come, repent and place their faith in Christ. And those who place their faith in Christ would become the fruit of Christ. The offspring of Christ. 
and their faith would remain. Why? Because they too have been chosen by God. And to those whom belong to Christ, they will never be snatched out of the hand of God. So their fruit would remain. We who have been given the gospel are charged with the responsibility of sharing the gospel. We are going through the book of James right now in this place and also in the youth. And one of the verses that we will soon approach is have no partiality toward anyone. And many people think that means that we are going to be nice to certain people and choose not to be nice to other people. But rather, that partiality is dealing with the gospel. That is this. You should not say to one who comes dressed rich and fine, come to the front and hear the gospel. And to the person who who dresses poor and raggedy, stay in the back. But you say to all people, without distinction and without partiality, come to Christ, repent of your sins, trust in Him, and you shall be saved. And in sharing the gospel, we show no partiality to those who are in the marketplace and to those who are at Martin Luther King Park. We give the gospel in the same manner. Come to Christ, repent of your sins, and you will find Him to be a perfect, wonderful, loving, compassionate Savior. We show love in the greatest, most powerful way in giving the gospel. We show love in the most powerful and wonderful way through giving the gospel. Whether you are rejected or not, as we will find out next week, you give the gospel. Whether they hate you or not, recognize they hated Christ first, so you are in good company. Give The gospel. That is our command. That is our task. Evangelism and making disciples. So that in that process. Whatever you ask in the father. Ask whatever you ask the father in my name. He may give it to you. Not asking for cars. Bigger houses. More money per se. But in the task of making disciples. Of making the gospel known to people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. Ask whatever you will in the Father's name. And he will provide. You want more opportunities to share the gospel on your job? Ask God. And he will provide opportunities. And when they come, take advantage of them. You want more opportunities to share the gospel with your family members? Pray for them. And guess what God loves to do? Answer those kind of prayers. You want more opportunities to share the gospel with those who you don't know. Contact evangelism with complete strangers. Ask God and guess what God will do? He will answer that prayer and provide so many strangers in your path. That you will not have enough words to say to all of them. Ask God. And he will make a way in the process of making the gospel known. And making disciples. And he longs to answer those kinds of prayers. We are about the mission of Christ. We must be diligent and earnest to remember to obey the command of Christ that motivates us toward that mission. And that is what that's what he leaves us with in verse 17. Love one another. Love one another in that process of making the gospel known, of making disciples and making disciples is hard. There are people that will be so inconsistent. There will be people, there will be people that come as you are trying to disciple them that are going to be so flaky. Yes. And you must 
continue to love them. There are going to be those, as I spoke of earlier, who are going to be the lowliest, the most ignorant, the most defective disciples. And yet you are called to love them. And then even when you join the local church, you will come and you will sit and say, I'm waiting for someone to love me. Don't wait. Go. Love someone. Show them love. Don't wait and say, well, they never talk to me. Take the initiative. Talk to them. There are but 50 people in this church. Those who are listening on this podcast. Yes, we are a real reformed church. We're only 50 members. Love one another, especially in a world that you will be sent to sent into. We must wear the armor of love as we head out into a world that is diametrically opposed to Christ and the gospel. What will be your greatest weapon? The gospel and the love therein. And in the face of that opposition, we must love. I came across something in closing this morning as I was reading in my office from Buck Parsons, who is the editor of Table Talk magazine. Listen to this in closing. Although many Christians claim to want genuine community, many want it only on their own terms. When it's convenient, when it demands nothing from them, what they want isn't the church community, but a country club where they pay their dues for services rendered. They want to be served without having to serve anyone else. Real community forces us to die to ourselves, to get over ourselves. So that we might love one another as ourselves. Francis Schaeffer observed that the early church practiced two things simultaneously. Orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of visible community. Such such which provide us with us such orthodoxy of visible community is grounded in the one another passages of the scripture, which provide us with the essential elements of authentic community. They strike at the root of our self-centeredness and they lead us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to deny ourselves so that we might love one another, encourage one another, confess our sins to one another, forgive one another and not slander one another, gossip about one another, devour one another or even envy one another. In so doing, our father in heaven is glorified as we manifest the beauty of the gospel of Christ through the power of the spirit who has united a bunch of repentant sinners like us. This morning, we encourage you. If you are friends of Christ, follow what Christ has modeled for us. Obediently obey the command to love one another. If we are friends of Christ, then we encourage you, brothers and sisters, that you, especially those who have been chosen by Christ. Make it your habitual habit each week to love your fellow believers. And to those who are not, go out of your way to share with them the gospel because that to them is the greatest expression of love that you could ever show them. Let us stand.